Let me speak to you this morning about Joseph in the New Testament, okay? Uh, Joseph in the New Testament. So I very much uh, have envisioned this sermon as part of our current series. Let me ask you a question as we begin. But I cannot ask you this question unless I set it up first with a very short story. There once was a boy who was told by his father one day, Son, I need you to mow the grass today and take care of the yard work. This boy, this son, replied to his father, No. No, I'm not going to do it. Later on, he changed his mind, and he went and did what his father had asked him to do. After saying no, he later did the yard work. He mowed the grass. Well, this young man had a brother, and the father also went to him, to the other boy, the brother, and he said to him, son, I need you to work in the yard today. There's there are leaves that need to be raked. There's weeds that need to be pulled. And this boy, this son said, okay, yes, I will do it. But he never did. He didn't do it. And so the question that I said I had for you, the question for you to answer in your mind is this, who did what his father wanted? Who did what his father wanted? Who was the obedient son in my short little story this morning? Who did what was right? And not just what was right, but what was the will of the father? Well, my story is a weak shadow of a story that Jesus told. Would you glance with me at Matthew 21, 28? Look at this, Matthew 21, 28. Jesus says, Jesus addresses even us this morning. He says, what do you think? What do you think? A man had two sons, and he went to the first and said, son, go and work in the, in the what? In the vineyard today. That's important. And he answered, I will not. But afterward, he changed his mind and went. And he went to the other son. Remember, it's just told us that he had two sons and said the same and he answered, I go, sir, but did not go. Which of the two did the will of his father? They said, the first, there in verse 31. Jesus said to them, truly, I say to you, the tax collectors and the prostitutes go into the kingdom of God before you. For John came to you in the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him. But the tax collectors and the prostitutes believed him. And even when you saw it, you did not afterward change your minds and believe him. As I say, Jesus' story is the story. My little story was a weak shadow of his. I guess you could say, as someone has said, I guess you could say based on Jesus' parable here, that performance trumps promise. Is that not part of what he's saying here in this story? Well, maybe we could quibble. Well, well, what about the fact that the first son said no? I mean, 
talk about that. But ultimately, one simple principle that we could take away is that performance greater than promise. Well, that's not our story today. Of course, it's in the context. But our story today, our main story today is about a man who was a master of the house who planted a vineyard. And even there, right, you see our story begins in verse 33. But in 28 through 32, he's just told a parable about a man and a vineyard. No, our story today, boys and girls of of all ages, has to do with a master of the house who planted a vineyard. And not only in the story that that we read a few minutes ago, not only did he plant a vineyard, but Jesus goes to pains to say there in, in 33 and 34, He goes to great pains to say that this man, this master, went to the nth degree, which is to say he made all necessary preparations for this vineyard to be fruitful and for this vineyard to be really fruitful. He spared spared no expense. You read about the, the tower. You read about him digging the wine press so that everything from start to finish in this man's vineyard would come to fruition, and not only, as I say, not only would it bear fruit, but that it would bear much fruit, and as long as it was in the right hands, there should be no problem. Well, in our story today, we read that this master who planted the vineyard, he did so, and then what did he do? He, he leased it out to tenants, he leased it out to farmers, and then he went on his way. He went away. He went to another country, having leased his vineyard out to farmers. Well, the time comes. The time came for the harvest. And so he sent his his servants. The story tells us he sent his servants back to his vineyard. Remember, he's in another country to reap the harvest, to just do what was supposed to be done, to reap the harvest, to, to gather in the fruits of his vineyard. And what do we read in the story? Do you remember? What do we read? He sent his servants and the farmers, the tenants, They beat some of them, they stoned some of them, and they killed them, is what we read here in this parable from Jesus, the parable of the tenants. Well, well, the master, the owner of the vineyard, he's in another country, and he gets news about this, and he says, well, here's what I'll do. I'll send more this time. He sends more servants, and, and what do they do? What do the tenants do? Well, they did the same thing, right? They beat some of them. They stoned them. They killed them. And so then the master says, well, well, here's what I'll do. I'll send my son. What's his logic? What's his thinking in that? And again, and again, the, the point is not to piecemeal this and to, and to say, well, okay. I mean, you, we can talk about what's he doing, sending more servants after the first were killed and beaten. But his logic is, I will send my son. The son is not a servant. There's a key difference, right? There's servants, and then there's the son. I will send my son. They will respect him. And so he sends his son, and they do what? Well, they do the same thing, right? No. In one sense, they do the same thing, but actually it's different. It's more grievous. Listen to me. They see the son coming. 
Remember his logic. They will respect my son. They see the sun coming, and there's this, this evil excitement. This evil excitement. Look, there's the sun. He's the heir. Let's kill him so that we can get the inheritance. Do you see? That's, that's, that's the son. What are they thinking? Do they think that they will get away with this? Friends, do, do we think that the God of all the earth will not do what is right? Do you this morning in any way believe that God, especially on the final day, will not be fully just and do what is right? Well, that's not what they were thinking about. And so in our story, they, they take the son, they throw him out of the vineyard, and they kill him. So it is the same thing. that they, they do the same thing, but it's not the same thing because it's worse because they got this evil excitement, this vicious, cruel, sinful, evil excitement. And then it's even worse than what they had done to the servants because, because why? Because he's the son. He's not a servant. And Jesus says to those who are listening, he hymns them in. Jesus hems us in with his parables this morning. He says, what do you think? What's the master going to do to these tenants? Without a second thought, he will come, he will lease out, he will lease out his vineyard to people who will produce the fruit, and as for those first tenants, as for those first farmers, he will destroy them. I want you to see, let's make some observations about this story this morning. I've told you already that we want to see Joseph in the New Testament. I want you to see here in Matthew chapter 21, verses 33 through 46. I want you to see, first of all, this is my first thing. We have a story of the whole Bible. Now, technically, this is my title for the sermon this morning. The story of the whole Bible. This is really, this, this is cool. This parable contains in it the story of the whole Bible. Have you ever read the whole Bible? Have you ever, have you ever taken a year to read the whole Bible? Uh, maybe, you, maybe you've read through the Bible many times. Well, th- of course, this is not an excuse uh, for you not to read the whole Bible, but I'm just saying this parable contains the story of the whole Bible. Look at it with me, verse 33. Matthew 21, 33. Hear another parable. Who's speaking? Jesus. What does he say, another parable? Well, he just shared the two parable about the two sons. Remember the father who said, mow the grass. And the boy said, no. And he later did it. And the other guy said, the other brother said, yeah, I'll do it. And he never did it. Hmm. Seems like God is concerned about fruit. Well, anyway, verse 33. There was a master of a house who planted a vineyard and put a fence around it and dug a wine press in it and built a tower and leased it to tenants and went into another country. When the season for fruit drew near, he sent his servants to the tenants to get his fruit. And the tenants took his servants and beat one, killed another, and stoned another. Again, he sent other servants. Notice verse 36. More than the first. And again, friends, the point is not to say, well, what was he thinking? That's not the point of the parable. Finally, verse 37, he sent his son to them saying, they will respect my son, but, verse 38, 
when the tenants saw the son, they said to themselves, this is the heir. Come, let us kill him and have his inheritance. And they took him and threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. When, therefore, Jesus asks in verse 40, the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to those tenants? They said to him, he will put those wretches to a miserable death and let out the vineyard to other tenants who will give him the fruits in their seasons. Let me just put this first point out there and then maybe come back to it. We'll move on to number two. But again, point number one, we have the story of the whole Bible here. So you say, what did he, what did he preach about today? Well, he preached the whole Bible. What, what was his text today? It was the whole Bible, except for it's this parable. It's these 14, or I'm sorry, 17 or so verses. That's number one. We have the story of the whole Bible. Number two, number two, we have Joseph in the New Testament. Joseph in the New Testament. Let me explain what I mean when I say we have. So we've been doing this series, as you know, and we've been doing a series on Joseph. And so the text, and so we seek to do this expositional preaching to let the word of God speak and not what we want the Bible to say, but let God speak through his word. So it's been Genesis 37 through 50. And we've come basically to the end of the story. Joseph, Genesis 37 through 50, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. And I want to say here, as we think about Joseph in the New Testament, in the New Testament, Joseph is referred to explicitly in Hebrews 11 and in Acts chapter 7. So make no mistake, I am not saying that Joseph is explicitly here in this parable. You do find that in Hebrews 11 and in Acts chapter 7. I will just say this that careful students of the Bible, careful students of the Bible for years and years and years have seen a very probable echo and, or you can use the word illusion, back to the story of Joseph. Careful students of the Bible, and listen, maybe those who were listening to Jesus tell this parable, those who were steeped in, in what we might call the Hebrew scriptures, what we call the Old Testament, maybe they also would have heard that. We don't want to make too much, but we also don't want to make too little of this. Let me get right to the point. In Matthew 21, 38, the wicked tenants, that is Israel, in Matthew 21, 38, what do they say? They say, come, let us kill him. You got that? Come, let us kill him. This exact same phrase, this is, from, this is from White, Blake White. This exact same phrase, come let us kill him, occurs in one other place in the Bible. One other place, Genesis 37, 20. Do you remember what Genesis 37 is about? Joseph has a dream that his brothers would serve him. And they get angry and conspire together and they say what? Come, let us kill him. And so my friend Blake White says this, Jesus is a new Joseph who is abandoned by his own, but whom God will raise up to bless the Gentiles. I'll just repeat that, not to emphasize it too much. Jesus is a new Joseph who is abandoned by his own, 
but whom God will raise up to bless the Gentiles. So that's one thing. I wanted to jump right to the heart right there. There's only two places in the Bible where this precise, come, let us kill him. Genesis 37, 20, Matthew 21, 38. Now, careful students of the Bible have pointed out really many other things besides that main thing. They've pointed out many other things, whether it's the fact that he's called uh, the son. In the other gospels, this parable, in the other gospels, he's called the beloved son. Genesis 37, 3 and 4, Joseph is basically referred to as the beloved son. It's very, it's eerily similar. It's eerily similar when the brothers see Joseph coming in Genesis 37 and they say, they see, the text says they see him and then they speak to one another, let us kill him. Same thing here. Same thing here. They see the son coming in the parable of the tenants and then they speak, let us kill him. So there's a lot of these verbal parallels, but even that's not the main thing. The main thing is, friends, listen to me. In our parable today, Jesus clearly quotes Psalm 118. Clearly, he quotes Psalm 118. I think he's clearly referencing Daniel chapter 2, 44 and 45. We're going to see that he references Isaiah 5. And if you just throw Joseph or Genesis 37, it's all the same thing. What is it? What is it? It's Israel's unfaithfulness and their rejection of God's chosen men. You see? And so it's not so much, well, this word, these words look similar, and so you're not trying to make too much of it, but it fits the pattern. It fits the exact same pattern that Israel's unfaithfulness and their, their what, what is this parable about, do you know? What is this parable about? I've told you it's the story of the whole Bible. It's the story of the whole Bible, which I think should go ahead and lead us to number three. Number three. Number one, we have the story of the whole Bible. I said I wanted to come back to that. Number two, Joseph in the New Testament. And I could have elaborated on that, but there's no need really. Number three, there's a clear focus on Israel. There is a clear focus on Israel. Israel in this parable, I would say on the leaders of Israel, but I think it's perfectly fine just to say Israel. That's number three. There's a clear focus in this parable on Israel, but I really am just going back to number one. It's the story of the whole Bible. So look at it. Look at the text. I love the parables of Jesus. And they're not, they're not just awesome stories. They are. But Jesus means to upbraid us this morning. He doesn't mean for you to read his parables and say, oh, that's nice. He means for you to kind of be jerked and like, whoa, what, what? So let's see this. Look at verse 33. What is the vineyard? What's the vineyard? Who, are, who is the master? Who is the, the, the master of the house who planted the vineyard? Who are the tenants? What's this about another country? Who is the son? And we remember that at this point, by the way, this comes on the last week of Jesus' life. This is what we call Holy Week. This is Tuesday of the last week of the life of Jesus to where he shares three parables, one before this, this one, and the one after. And all three parables are in response to, well, who, who do you think you are? What type, where, do you, where do you get this authority that you claim for yourself? 
Where do you get this authority? Jesus is answering this question. This is given by Jesus on Tuesday of the last week of his life. But we know here today in 2022, as we say we're on this side of the cross and resurrection, God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son so that whoever believes, whoever believes will not perish but have eternal life. God sent his son. He, God sent his son to die on the cross. God sent his son to bear the wrath of sinners. And we know that on this side of the cross that the propitiation, the sacrifice, the substitute of Jesus has already been made for sinners. And so as we've said before, when you say, when were you saved? The actual proper answer is when Jesus died on the cross. We know that this has already happened. And so we read this parable and we also know that there's Matthew 26 and Matthew 27 and Matthew 28. Jesus the Christ lived a perfect life, something that you and I have never done. He lived a perfect life. He died bearing the wrath of God. Many people have died. Some people have died for other people. No one has died for, preposition, for other people, the way that Jesus died for his people. He rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven to the right hand of God. He's coming again. He's coming again so that everyone who repents and believes can have a clear conscience and can know God. We read this, do we not? We read this with a bit of hindsight. So we know the vineyard, the vineyard in this parable is Israel. We know that the tenants, the tenants are the leaders of Israel. We know that the master, the master is God. We know that the son that Jesus speaks of, Jesus basically says in this parable, the whole story of the Bible points to me. You say, well, that's, that's egotistical. That's self-centered. No, that's the truth. That's the truth. Jesus is saying, please don't miss this. This parable has a lot to do with Israel. The whole story of the Bible, well, if four-fifths of your Bible is the Old Testament, when I say the whole story of the Bible, well, a lot of that's going to have to do with what we call the Old Testament with Israel. But Jesus is saying that's really important history, and it all points to me. Does your life point to the Lord Jesus Christ? Does your belief, does your rest and confidence and trust point to the Lord Jesus Christ? Please let us not miss that this morning. When he says he sent his servants, and then he sent second time more servants, and then he sent the son, Jesus is making a point about himself. All of the scriptures properly understood point to me. I want you to see this, Isaiah chapter 5. You don't have to turn there. Isaiah chapter 5. And just see if you don't notice similarities here. Let me sing for my beloved, my love song concerning his vineyard. My beloved had a vineyard on a very fertile hill. He dug it and cleared it of stones and planted it with choice vines. I mean, this is exactly what's been happening, right? That's exactly what's happening in our parable. He built a watchtower in the midst of it and hewed out a wine vat in it. And he looked for it to yield grapes. He looked for it to God is looking for fruit, friends. He looked for it to yield grapes, but it yielded wild grapes. 
And now, O inhabitants of Jerusalem and men of Judah, Isaiah 5, 3, judge between me and my vineyard. What more was there to do for my vineyard? Do you see that? What more that I have not done in it? When I looked for it to yield grapes, why did it yield wild grapes? Devoured. I will break down its wall and it shall be trampled down. I will make it a waste. It shall not be pruned or hoed and briars and thorns shall grow up. I will also command the clouds that they rain no rain upon it. For, notice for Isaiah 5, 7, for the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel. It's like you could put an equal sign. And the men of Judah are his pleasant planting. And he looked for justice, but behold, bloodshed. For righteousness, but behold, an outcry. I've said this is the story of the Bible. Let me make that just as plain as I can. And I think many of you know what I'm about to say. How is this parable the story of the Bible? Well, it's the story of Israel over and over again. Let me say majority Israel. Praise God that by his grace there was a remnant, a minority, a minority Israel, because not all Israel are true Israel. True Israel ultimately is Jesus Christ and those who are joined to true Israel, Jesus Christ. But in the Old Testament, like I say, basically four-fifths of your Bible, what do you see? Israel's unfaithfulness, majority Israel, and Israel's unfaithfulness, and Israel's unfaithfulness, and constant rejection of the prophets. And here's the other thing, too. In spite of God's forbearance and patience, this is the God who is. This is the God of the Bible, friends. God is patient. He's not willing that any should perish but that all should come to repentance, 2 Peter chapter 3. Think about the forbearance of God. Do you take lightly the forbearance of God? Do you know that this day, if you are not a believer in Jesus Christ, you're under the wrath of God? He is displeased with you. Do you know that? Contrarily, do you know that if you're a Christian, he could not be more pleased with you than he is with his son? But no, the story is this. The story, very simply, is the patience of and the forbearance of God and the stubbornness of Israel and their rejection over and over again of the prophets. That's the, that's the servants, right? I'll send my servants. Beat them, stone them, kill them. I'll send more servants. Beat, stone, kill. I'll send my son. Who's telling the parable? Jesus is telling the parable. Who's the son? The son is the Lord Jesus Christ. Hey, by the way, Aaron doesn't have this one on the screen. I didn't tell him to, but listen to what Isaiah 5 says. All of the scripture is profitable. You know what's, think about our world today and just listen to this one verse, Isaiah 5, 20. Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Our main focus was just Isaiah 5, 1 through 7. But I'll just show you that. I mean, just, just read the Bible. Read the Bible and see that it ultimately points to the Lord Jesus Christ. And you say, I don't, I don't, I struggle. That's okay. You're not alone. Read the Bible and read this parable and say, okay, God, now you've helped me to see that this parable summarizes the whole story of the Bible, right? That's the title. The whole story of the Bible. Right here. Right here in this parable. It's the story of the Bible. It's Joseph in the New Testament. There's a clear focus on Israel. 
Isaiah chapter 5, but it is about Jesus. It is about Jesus. Jesus tells the parable, and he tells it about himself. He is the main focus. Let me say this. Let me sprinkle in a few, maybe you would just call them principles or implications. Let me sprinkle in a few principles here as we look at this passage this morning. It is clear, listen to me, it is clear in the New Testament and in the whole Bible that God is always looking for fruit. It is, it is not okay in God's eyes to produce no fruit or bad fruit. Only those who produce good fruit can claim to know the grace of God in their lives. Don't stop listening to this point. He is the one who alone can bring about fruit in our lives in the first place. He alone. And do you please remember what I said earlier? What is this parable if it's not a picture of the long suffering of God, of his forbearance, of his patience? Don't delay. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ today. Today is the day of salvation. What is this story if it's not God's patience and his forbearance? Even that he speaks this to them, he could have just wiped them out. What audacity, what sinful audacity for them to say, what authority do you have? I'll tell you what authority I have. I made you, and I can wipe you out at any moment. That's not what he does. He tells them a story, and yet their hearts remain hard. Oh, no, my friends. God in the Bible is looking for fruit. God produces the fruit. God is patient with his people. And if there's just a little fire, he's very willing to fan it into flame. It doesn't mean that you have to despair. You do not, you do not, Christian, Christian, you don't have to despair if you think I've only got a tiny bit of fruit. The number one fruit, the number one fruit is to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you believe? That's the fruit from which all other fruits come and grow. All other fruit proceeds from there. This is the number one and foundational fruit. Do you receive the Lord Jesus Christ as the only Savior and joy of your life? He will bear much fruit in his people. He knows we are weak. He looks after his church. He looks after his people. John 15, Jesus is the vine, and as we abide in the vine, so and only so will we bear much fruit. Another principle you might say, is found in verses 42 and 44. Verse 42. Verse 42. Jesus said to them, Have you never read in the scriptures? The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. Again, you don't have to turn there at all. Psalm 118. Psalm 118. Hey, this is cool. If you look earlier in Matthew 21, earlier, he quotes Psalm 118. If you look in chapter 23, he quotes Psalm 118. If you look at our passage today, he quotes Psalm 118. That's three times in the last week of Jesus' life. That must be important, right? Psalm 118. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone this is the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in your eyes. Do not make any mistake, my friend. 
do not make any mistake. The offer this morning is not for you to receive Jesus. And if you, if you don't receive him as your Lord, well, that's okay. That's just your choice. This stone, no, this cornerstone will break ultimately to pieces all those who reject him. The message of the gospel, if I could put it like this, is on one hand negative. There is coming a day of judgment. The king is coming. But the, also the message of the cornerstone is that for those who do not reject by the grace of God, those who receive this cornerstone, Psalm 118, there is eternal life and the knowledge and the pleasure of knowing God. This is the Lord's doing, Psalm 118, verse 23. It is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day that the Lord has made. Oh, man, that's not just a kid's song. This is the day. This is the day. That's Psalm 118, verse 24. This is the day that the Lord has made. He's made a day for his stone, the cornerstone, his Christ, his Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ. You cannot remain neutral about Jesus. You cannot. Listen to me. There is no neutrality when it comes to him. Either you are for him or against him, and you can't be halfway for him either. Can I say that again? You cannot remain neutral towards Jesus Christ. There is no neutrality when it comes to him. Either you are for him or you are against him, and you cannot be halfway for him. I cite verse 42, and I cite verse 44. And the one who falls on this stone, Jesus says, will be broken to pieces. And when it falls on anyone, it will crush him. Please don't leave here being ignorant of the fact that the Christian gospel is salvation through judgment. It's like Noah's Ark. The people were saved through judgment. Consider the Romans chapter 2. Consider the kindness. Consider the kindness. It's, Romans chapter 2 said it's the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. In verse 43 of our story, in verse 43, he says, I tell you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people, what? Producing its fruits. Verse 45 when the chief priests and the Pharisees heard his parables, they perceived that he was speaking about them. And although they were seeking to arrest him, you see that in verse 46, they feared the crowds because they held him to be a prophet. Fear of man is a real thing. Look at me. Fear of man is a real thing, people-pleasing. But there is eternal joy in the fear of God through Jesus Christ. Verse 46 says they knew what the crowd thought. They knew they did not yet have a majority. Until later on, they would say, crucify him. Crucify him. They knew at this point that they didn't have the November 9th votes, right, that we're coming up on. They knew they didn't have it. They feared the crowds. And so they would reject the word of Christ and go into an eternity without him. Blomberg puts it like this, and I begin to close. Listen, a day will come when God's patience is exhausted and those who have rejected him will be cast away from his presence. They will listen to my son. They will listen to my son. Who's the son? Who's the heir? 
we can get the inheritance. Let's throw him out of the vineyard. Let's kill him. Enough. Do you see? Enough. A day will come when God's patience is exhausted. And do you not think that the Lord God loves his son and will not play games with how we respond to his son? God's purposes will not be thwarted. Even, listen, it's not as though God takes the kingdom from Israel, which he clearly is, is doing. He's indicting these leaders. It's not as though, well, what am I, God's saying, what am I going to do? Because Israel was my, that's not, that's not what's happening at all. In other words, God knows all things. He plans all things. He foreordains all things. God's purposes will never be thwarted. He will raise up new leaders who will provide the fruit. No, no, no. I will destroy these tenants. I will get new tenants. I will get new tenants. And let me just encourage you, if you are in Christ, you can never, ever lose your salvation. Friends, there's two sons. There's two sons. One says, yes, I'll do it, Dad. And never does it. And one says, no. And yes, we want to respond properly the first time, but he does it. And by the grace of God, by the grace of God, we bear fruit for his glory and by his grace, consider the story of the whole Bible and do not miss the focus of Jesus' own story as he was about to go hang on the cross for sinners like us. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for Psalm 118 where we read about this stone that the builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. Thank you for Isaiah chapter 5, where we read about the vineyard that you planted. You took super care and love and tenderness. Thank you for that picture in Isaiah 5, Father, of your love and tenderness with your people Israel. You took great care, but you found only wild grapes. Thank you for the story of Joseph and how the story of Joseph is a story of humiliation and then exaltation followed after his humiliation. Lord, we thank you for the story of the Bible and we thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ and how his cross is the center point of all human history. May we respond by your grace as you would have us to this day. May we be ready to serve and work only according to your grace that is at work within us. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen.